0: Hey, everybody. Welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy.
1: Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic.
0: That was President Joe Biden in his primetime Save Democracy speech last night. He is angry. He's pissed off. And uh, I got to say, I like it.
1: So let me say this to my MAGA Republican friends in Congress. Don't tell me you support law enforcement if you won't condemn what happened on the 6th. Don't tell me. Can't do it. For God's sake, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? But now it's sickening to see the new attacks on the FBI threatening life of law enforcement agents and their families for simply carrying out the law and doing their job. Look, I want to say this as clear as I can. There's no place in this country, no place for endangering the lives of law enforcement. No place. None, never, period. I'm opposed to defunding the police. I'm also opposed to defunding the FBI.
0: He's, yes, he's Scranton Joe, right? He's back. What do you guys think? Maddie and Jen, the awesome backroom team sitting here with me. What do you make of this guy all of a sudden?
2: I think he's finally got into his groove. And I think a lot of Democrats have been waiting for this moment.
0: Yeah, I know I am. I have been. Jen? Yes. <laughs> Jen is so excited about it. <laughs> Just the way she delivered that yes. Yes. <laughs> The passion, the passion in that yes was unbelievable. You know, his his approval rating has jumped in like a week from like thirty eight to forty four percent. I suspect next week, the week after, it's going to be even higher. Yeah, you're right. He's Scranton Joe, and he's he he's the guy we've been waiting for. He finally last night. By the way, that was uh, that was uh, Biden at a Pennsylvania rally this week. That last clip. Um, he finally last night mentioned Trump by name, which was the first time. And I think the the most important thing that I took away from that speech, aside from the fact that it was awesome and overdue and uniting, because he didn't really lump all Republicans into the Extreme Magas uh, movement, but the contrast that was set yesterday, like September 1, 2022, I think is going to go down in, in history as the day that Joe Biden delivered a... I think an unprecedented speech where the United States president had to come out to defend democracy to to Americans from Americans. Number one, on the same day that he did that, Donald Trump was yammering to some two bit radio host that the January 6th insurrectionists were poorly treated, deserve an apology. He's financially supporting them in their legal efforts. And if he becomes president again someday, he's going to give them a full pardon. So the contrast for voters that we saw yesterday was mind-blowing. And I think the most important thing, because neither of those two guys are on the ballot in November, so we got to keep that in mind, but there's a lot of other people that are. And I think every Democrat, every Democrat who is running against a Republican opponent— be it at a debate, be it on on some kind of TV news conference, anywhere, every time they sit with a reporter, they should publicly ask their opponent, do you support Donald Trump? Do you agree with Donald Trump that January 6th insurrectionists who were arrested, convicted, imprisoned deserve an apology and should get a full pardon? Make these people go on record. Because those are the people that are up for election in November. And I think the American public is at a point. And if you look at the polls, let's say two thirds of the American people think democracy being at risk is the number one issue. Pounce on that. Make your candidate look into a camera and speak to the voter and say, I disagree with Trump or I agree with Trump. I think that would be very powerful.
2: Yeah, I think that Trump is giving the Democrats enormous advertising input. And the person who's got the biggest headache right now is Mitch McConnell. Uh, There's no way with Trump going on a rampage on Truth Social. He goes on a rampage every single day now posting QAnon conspiracies, and now his son, Junior, is doing the same thing.
0: Yeah, Trump is one problem. But these midterms, that's another situation. And I think Democrats have an incredible it's just an amazing opportunity to not just hold on to the senate to not you know minimize the the red wave that was supposed to come in the house but actually keep the house between this this concern for democracy between women losing their reproductive rights between children getting slaughtered seemingly every other week in a school because of rampant gun violence a- a- cu- coupled with the fact that Republicans have nothing to offer. They've offered nothing to voters about why they should be elected or reelected. All that combined, how that doesn't translate to a, a Democratic landslide in November is just beyond comprehension. Well,
3: I- I mean, Andy, I 100% agree with you. I do think that it's important for people to go out and vote, because there's been just an apathy. And for the reasons that you're describing, Uh, it's so clear that when you do vote, and you put people in power who can investigate the things that you're describing, I think it empowers the, the voting public, right? And so... That's the point. Go out and vote.
0: Yeah. And we've seen, you know, a couple weeks ago with Pat Ryan in New York 19. This week, we saw Sarah Palin get her ass handed to her in Alaska, uh, a seat that was flipped. I mean, all the signs are there. Let's play the Carl, Carl Wolf clip.
4: Let's be clear on this. None of these government documents are his to have taken. I, I agree with the deputy director who said that a lot of the pro former president's mm-hmm. problems are of his own creation. You can, under the, Fed, the Presidential Records Act of 1978, you cannot take original documents out of the White House with you when you leave the White House, whether you're the president of the United States or any of his aides. No, you know that's it's forbidden under the law. Now there are no criminal penalties for violating it, but why the former president packed up you know twenty, nearly thirty-some odd boxes of material? when he had no right to do so. And that's what the government asserts, incidentally, in this filing. They say he, the president, former president, asked for the return of the documents because, as he said in his filing, they were created during his administration and the response of the government, excuse me, the response of the government in their filing was uh, that's evidence that they aren't his. If they were were developed in the White House during his time of presidency under the Presidential Records Act, they belong to the government, not to him.
0: That was Karl Rove. If you remember Karl Rove, uh, Bush's brain, also known as Turd Blossom, uh, one of the most unscrupulous Republican operatives in political history. When you start having people like Karl Rove and Fox News' Peter Ducey and The Washington Times and I think uh, even Judge Napolitano this week came out saying the same thing, this, this theft of documents, it, doesn't it feel like a turning point? Yeah, I do think, though, that Karl Rove
2: was very careful to only point out a violation of the Presidential Records Act, which is, of course, has no criminal penalty. But he's being looked into for multiple other offenses that do have criminal penalties. And one of the biggest ones is going to be obstruction of justice. And it doesn't matter. It's always the cover up that gets these people, even if nothing That's else he right. did.
0: And And, you know, espionage, which I mean, it's we can't lose sight of the fact that uh, Donald Trump's actions have Gravely put at risk Our nation's intelligence community Our soldiers Informants uh, Members of the media And so I think what we're seeing now Is They're jumping off the the, the You know the Trump panic. They're finally recognizing That that iceberg is near And you see it You see it not so much solely in the things that guys like carl rover saying publicly but you 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 hear it in the silence of what people are not saying they're not coming out and defending him you know you have jim jordan and you know lauren bobert or however bobert like stephen colbert is it lauren bobert somehow making her sound french make like humanizes her more than we actually probably should try to humanize her but so i'm going to call her lauren bobert Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Trump will always have those people. But the people he really needs, the people in power, the people with a strong voice, um, people who have a platform to, that have defended him in the past, that are not defending him now, we're starting to see that abandonment happen. Um, and I think it's because of what you were saying before, Maddie, like Guys like McConnell, whatever they're, they're realizing... That they're imploding. The party is imploding.
2: McConnell's realized he may not be majority leader again in his lifetime.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, although I do see uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy, uh, House Minority Leader, um, Speaker of Wannabe, Wannabe, uh, he's still out there defending Trump. But he's, you know, the sad thing about uh, M- McCarthy is that he went from a mainstream bucket into the Lauren Bobert bucket, and which is kind of insane because this is a guy who on january 6th 6th basically said fuck you we need help you crazy maniac what are you doing and then after that became marjorie taylor green it's it's inexplicable which is which explains a lot of why these people are in this cult i i try to explain it to myself and i can't but there is something that's changed and what's interesting to me is that it's like It's like when they got Al Capone on taxes, right? Tax evasion. The thing that may ultimately really bring Trump down is this willful, blatant theft of documents. Because uh, the image of the the top secret—I know we want to talk about the the, rug—the image of those top secret orange documents on the floor of his office— and other places in Mar-a-Lago, you can't escape that. It's It's like a fraudulent tax return. The evidence is clear. Now, when I have this conversation with friends of mine, they'll be like, yeah, but he should go to prison for January 6th. How could he? That's a much more complicated case. This is so simple. And every time this idiot opens his mouth, he digs his grave even deeper. So first he'll say it was planted evidence, but then he'll say, they threw those documents all over the floor. I never had them like that. They were in a carton. Like, so why don't you just go ahead and open the prison door? Like, I mean, it's unbelievable how he's sabotaging his own defense.
2: And he also claims that he declassified them all, which is kind of funny because in all of his legal filings, they've never made that claim because they actually can't lie in court.
0: They can't lie in court because there's a process for declassifying documents. So that photo we saw uh, I'm gonna give you a chance now to talk about the rug talk about the rug well we got to ha- talk about the rug.
2: we know that the real crime there <laughs> although he won't be charged with it is that rug yeah the arabesque pattern yeah Between uh, made likely in China by the way
0: China do we China 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 <laughs> God oh my god I just got like a nom flashback every once in a while I start thinking about what it was like during the Trump years like someone will say something I'd be like oh my god and I actually get anxious like the anxiety But do we know if the rest of Mar-a-Lago is is decorated so lavishly?
2: I think actually that's a given. (laughs)
0: My God. I mean, the the lack of taste. I mean, putting aside his treason and his corruption, the man really should be in prison for his lack of taste. It's a cheap casino rug. (laughs) (laughs) I've walked on many of those. (laughs) I've dropped many a penny on those. This is his
2: private office. Jesus.
0: So you can't escape the evidence that's there. And so that's why I think this particular mess he's in combined with, you know, um, Fannie Willis down in Fulton County, Georgia. uh, who I'm sure this isn't true, but like I sort of suspect like if you go into her home, one of her walls has nine million pictures of Trump with the eyes cut out. Like, you feel like this woman is on a mission. So it's it definitely feels like something is happening and it's going to get better soon. And, and, I mean, people who are talking about him, like, certainly going to get indicted. Like, it's... I tweeted that back in May. I felt like I was the only person on Earth who was like, he's going to get indicted. Now it feels like everyone is talking about trump is going to be indicted every legal expert constitutional expert presidential historian anybody who you know you can see on on cable news often with credibility is saying it just everything is pointing to an indictment so i don't know i'm feeling pretty good about where things are headed i don't know about you guys but i i think it's
3: when (laughs) (laughs) when it's so simple right it's not nuanced he took documents you see it on the carpet it's a completely different scenario than a very complicated even j6 commission and again i think it depends on if you go out and vote and you put people in power who can investigate you're in a whole different scenario than you just have a bunch of yes men and and people falling in line and i think that was part of the teflon don mystique
0: yeah well he's he's done a very good job of deceiving originally deceiving half of the country i think maybe 30 percent of them are still with him and that's probably why you're seeing special election victories for democrats because we don't need all of them to flip we just need some people to wake up and go you know what this guy's full of shit and i'm voting and i'm voting for the other team anyway i could sit and talk about this stuff all day but I'm, i'm i'm very excited to Uh, move on to our guest. He is Congressman Ro Khanna from California, uh, California's 17th congressional district, which is in the heart of Silicon Valley. He sits on the House Agriculture, Armed Services, and Oversight and Reform Committees, where he chairs the Environmental Subcommittee. Khanna is also the deputy whip of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, serves as an assistant whip. I always love that term, by the way, a whip for the Democratic Caucus, and is the Democratic Vice Chair of the House Caucus on India and Indian Americans. He's a leading progressive voice working to democratize the digital economy, bring advanced manufacturing jobs to factory towns, and advance U.S. leadership on climate, human rights, and diplomacy around the world. Congressman Ro Khanna, welcome into the back room.
5: Really appreciate your having me on.
0: So I got to ask, before we get started, uh, we were told that we can only do audio. So whenever I hear that, that someone can only do audio, I immediately think that they're sitting in their living room in their pajamas. So I, I got to ask, are you in your pajamas?
5: I, I am not a, a, in a suit, but uh, I am uh, headed to the Capitol. So I uh, apologize for not being able to, to do video. I don't think people want to see me uh, <laughs> in a car
0: Now we we tease here in the back room. So I want to get right into it by asking you um, last night, Joe Biden, President Biden's speech. What do you think?
5: It was very strong. I think The president uh, spoke from his heart. He spoke about the real dangers we face when we have people peddling conspiracy theories, uh, people trying to incite violence against FBI officers and I think the president was blunt and needed to call out uh, the threats that we face.
0: And so I, I heard an interview with you uh, not that long ago. I, I think you had call, you wanted to see Scranton Joe. So it, it, do you think he's here? Do you think we've, we're we finally seeing Scranton Joe?
5: I do. I mean, I look, I don't think it's one speech and I don't think it's uh, one speech in front of uh, the backdrop of uh, the uh, majestic stage last night. I think we need uh, the president to be out there in union halls, out there in diners, out there uh, meeting uh, people where they're at. Uh, but I think we're going to see that. I mean, I'm headed to Columbus, Ohio, on October 9th. The president's going to be there to talk about the new two Intel factories that are coming about because of the Chips Act we passed. So we need the president on the road in these communities. And I'm pretty optimistic we're going to see that uh, in these next couple of months.
0: And, and that's great. And I think we're starting to see uh, how he, the the new and improved uh, you know, President Biden is being received by the public. His approval numbers are, are going up uh, early in Earlier in the week, he uh, was at a Pennsylvania rally where he uh, also spoke very strongly. Um, His rhetoric, uh, his energy is definitely different. Um, It sounds like you're not exactly seeing Scranton Joe yet, but it sounds like uh, you like what you're hearing so far.
5: Absolutely. I mean, this is the president uh, that was... uh on the campaign trail, this is the person we elected, someone who speaks for uh, the working class, the middle class, who embodies basic American values. Uh, you clearly know yesterday why he chose public service, why he chose to run for president. Uh, and we need him out there more. And I don't care if he makes a gaffe or mispronounces a word. Uh, I think he there's a reason he's elected, not all his aides. And the reason is that he, as a bond with the American public, and uh, uh, we need to see uh, uh, that he believes it.
0: What do you say to the people who, uh, typically on the right, uh, who maybe we're never going to convince anyway, but what do you say to the people who are saying uh, it was a divisive speech, that Joe Biden was elected because he promised to unify the country, and last night he was dividing the nation? What do you say to those people?
5: I don't believe it was a divisive speech, but the president at one point said that uh, there are a lot of Republicans uh, th- that he respects. He's not calling out a political party. What he was calling out is extremism. And that extremism is people who deny that, the, that uh, Joe Biden legitimately won the election in, in the face of overwhelming evidence that obviously he did. The extremism is people who are uh, ra- raising rhetoric uh, that is leading to violence against FBI officers. Uh, The extremism is people who are uh, defending attacks on uh, our institutions of democracy. Uh, And so to say that someone is divisive because they're calling out uh, extremism is just wrong. All our great political leaders have called out anti-democratic actions, and that's all Biden was doing.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think it was a brilliant speech. I think it was very powerful. I think uh, the messaging is it was long overdue. I also think it was kind of sad that, that a United States president had to give such an unprecedented speech in defense of American democracy from Americans. I mean, that... You know, it was kind of like an FDR speech back in the 40s when we're fighting, you know, foreign enemies who are are trying to destroy democracy. But to hear a United States president have to do that, basically speaking to fellow Americans, it's pretty sad, isn't it?
5: It is a uh, sad moment that an American president has to remind the country uh, that uh, we are the greatest democracy, that there are certain principles all of us need to agree on. But as someone who is the son of immigrants, born in Philadelphia, actually where the president gave the speech, who grew up in Bucks County, that was uh, 95% white when I was growing up, and that saw uh, the greatness of this country, I mean, there were so many people there who believed in me. I, I still believe that we uh, are going to get past this moment in our history. I, I don't believe, actually, it is as uh, trying a moment as uh, the men and in- who died on the beaches of Norm- Normandy, or John Lewis who was beaten on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, or the Civil War. This country has been through uh, more difficult challenges, and I think we're capable of emerging as a multiracial, multi-ethnic democracy and will. I mean, remember, uh, the president did win, and before that, President Obama won twice. So uh, I don't think Trumpism is going to define the future of America.
0: Well, I want, to, I want to play a clip for you of something that uh, went down this week. Uh, Lindsey Graham, let's go to that clip.
4: And I'll say this. If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, which you presided over and did a hell of a good job, there'll be riots in the streets.
0: So, you know, this week we saw the contrast between someone like Lindsey Graham, who just said that, you know, threatening violence because their side didn't win, uh, and a speech by the president last night trying to counter that rhetoric. Um, what do you think of what Lindsey Graham said? And do you think what Biden said last night really does, will have impact with the people who who may be hearing and listening to someone like Lindsey Graham?
5: We need to lower the temperature. And what Lindsey Graham said uh, is just not helpful uh, to do that. I mean, I don't know if he... He'd probably say he's trying to be a pundit and not calling for that action. But even if he's doing something that he thinks is uh, describing a scenario, uh, by so doing, he may be encouraging it. And uh, what we ought to have all our political leaders is saying uh, is very simply violence in this country is never justified. And that we absolutely condemn uh, any form of, of rioting uh, to solve political uh, disputes. The president gave that message yesterday that, that, that there is no room for violence. But honestly, uh, I don't think the president himself uh, will be able to lower the temperature unless you have uh, people in the Republican Party uh, willing to give those kind of speeches.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I that's an interesting point. And uh, it brings me to my next question, which is I believe he's justified in what he said earlier this week, but does Biden run the risk when he says that a good chunk, the the MAGA extremists are semi-fascists, when he makes a statement like that, which I welcome because I think it was long overdue, and that's just the reality. You can't have someone like Lindsey Graham or others threaten violence simply because they didn't win. In a free and fair election, threaten violence because of that, and and not have them be accused on some level of acting like fascists. But does Biden run the risk in the lowering of temperature of it all, of of sort of watering down or negating his own messaging, or or is this really helping him? And it's really timely and things he should be saying.
5: I would focus uh, on the uh, achievements that he's had. I mean, he's rebuilding the middle class. He's rebuilding the working class. He's passed the uh, American Rescue Plan, the largest uh, inflation uh, reduction measure on climate, the largest infrastructure bill, bringing semiconductor manufacturing back. And I think he should call out the extremists who are uh, harming our democracy. But that doesn't mean that uh, anyone who voted for uh, for Donald Trump falls into that category. I mean, I'm sure you have friends and uh, I have friends and extended family who voted for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, there are many reasons why people voted for Donald Trump. I don't think you go attack people who voted for Donald Trump. I think you offer an alternative vision and you attack the the cynical extremists who are uh, degradating our democracy
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair statement to make. I personally, I've always believed that, that racism is is deeply at the root of why people support Trump. Uh, I'm not alone in that uh, supposition, but I, I know that there are people who don't agree with me on that. Let me ask you this. What what are um, the two or three biggest challenges in in America and to Americans today, in your opinion?
5: The biggest challenge is the, the polarization in our country, the fact that Uh, We are more divided than any time in my lifetime. And and the second is that uh, so many people feel the American dream has slipped away, that uh, they have seen jobs disappear, industries disappear, uh, the working class have uh, less wealth, 25 percent less wealth than they did in 1980, uh, and they don't see their kids or themselves having an economic future. This is why I have championed this idea of economic patriotism, that one of the things that can unite this country is if we start making things in America again across the country, the next generation of products, not just semiconductors and batteries and electric vehicles, but to make masks here again, to make drugs here again, uh, to make antibiotics here again. And we could do that. And the president has started to take steps to do that. And if we rebuild our productive capacity, uh, I do think we can uh, bridge some of the divides. Now, do I think race is... Uh, at the core of some of uh, the, the conflict, of course, race has always been a challenge uh, in America. But the best chance that we have to emerge as a multiracial, multi-ethnic democracy is that people of different geographies, different races are working together uh, to produce things of value. And uh, that is something that is still within our reach.
0: Uh, I want to talk to you about the economic patriotism thing for a second. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, you've you've frequently been out in the heartland, the Rust Belt. Uh, it's loosely been referred to as an apology tour. But I, I agree with you that you know the Democratic Party seems to have lost a, a, a major part of its constituency over the decades. Uh, the working class, the white working class, you know, as manufacturing and factory jobs have disappeared, so has those people from the Democratic Party, and it seems like you're making trying to make a really good effort to to get them back with the message of building back that part of the country, that part of our economy. What are the, the substantive ways that can get us there? Because if if we don't have a real plan and we don't execute it, then it's just rhetoric.
5: Well, we can have a real plan. I mean, obviously, FDR had a real plan. That's how we built our industrial base. Hamilton had a real plan. And it's not just the white working class, it's the black working class. In fact, uh, the loss of manufacturing, according to a paper by Bill Spriggs, I've heard uh, black workers the most in places like Milwaukee and places like Detroit. There has to be a comprehensive strategy. It has to have government purchasing as part of it. The government can be a purchase guarantor for uh, industry that we want, government financing. We need to provide capital, uh, low interest or zero interest loans so that We can build factories here like we're doing with semiconductors. There needs to be a council uh, that the president convenes that uh, can focus on what the critical industries are and how we can work with business to support them through purchase agreements and financing. We do need uh, strategic tariffs on uh, dumping uh, here because some of the the dumping that took place post uh, the World Trade Organization really made it very hard for American industry to compete. And we need a co- collaboration with uh, community colleges and with uh, labor unions uh, to build our, our workforce. So I, I don't think there's a silver bullet, but I do think that if the, there was a comprehensive economic strategy uh, to say that we're gonna prioritize having industry in America because it is for self-sufficiency, uh, because it is for uh, revitalizing places left out, Uh, that our country is capable of doing that we made a policy choice that it didn't it didn't matter to us that the lowest price was all we cared about that shareholder profits is all we cared about uh that was deliberate and we can reverse that and go back to the type of policies fdr had uh, that built the industrial base in America.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you feel the Biden administration, Biden himself, uh, the messaging that comes out of the White House, do you think they're doing enough to accomplish this or on the road to doing enough to accomplish this?
5: It's a start. But if you've had 40 plus years of uh, neoliberalism and by neoliberalism, I just mean uh, let corporations go wherever they want. Globalization is is totally uh, good. It doesn't matter if... People are losing jobs. They'll find something else. And then you have President Biden saying, OK, I want to uh, uh, restart ch- uh, building new factories and rebuilding the working class. It's, it's not enough in a year and a half to reverse all of that. So I would say it's a start, but we could do it at, at greater s- speed and, and, and scale. You know, We are celebrate or pat ourselves in the back when we have 13 new battery plants, and China's putting 150 battery plants. Uh, This is not what won us World War II, the type of scale and speed we're doing it at. And if we look at what China is doing, I mean, they're not just saying, "Okay, let's give a tax credit for electric vehicles. They're saying uh, we want to dominate the electric vehicle industry. And they do. 60, 70 percent of electric vehicles are uh, made in China. Why don't we have a goal by the end of the decade saying uh, not just a tax credit? We want one third of the electric vehicle market, uh, the manufacturing to be here. Why don't we have a goal that we have a trade surplus in America again? We haven't had one since 1975. So I guess what I would say is that the president has taken uh, important steps, but they're just steps and that we need to do so at a much uh, bigger scale with more urgency uh, and uh, a a greater sense of uh, coordinating uh, government and the private sector.
0: And do you think that's realistic given how much corporate profitability plays into all of this you you mentioned china you know the chinese uh, there's a a a nationalism that drives a lot of what they do here so much of what drives our politics and our economy is what corporations want and need and lobbyists and uh, the, the amount of money that flows into washington you know if it's it's hard to sort of conceptualize a, a nationalistic view of let's let's build everything in in America when you have the pencil pushers at major corporations who understand the profitability of moving everything overseas I don't agree with that but I, I I'm just trying to sort of get your feelings on the, the the realities of how how we can accomplish something like this when we are so knee-deep in this this uh, uh, cor- you know quarterly cor- corporate profitability Uh, maze that we're in?
5: Well, it's going to be a a challenge, but it's one I think the American people are realizing is necessary. I mean, when we didn't have baby formula in this country, we didn't make masks in this country. It wasn't just a high-end technology. People are saying, what's happening? And why are we so dependent on Taiwan? Doesn't that increase the risk of potential conflict? And it's not that I am a uh, protectionist or mercantilist. I welcome trade. I think it's fine to have global supply chains. I just think we ought to have our share of the production. We ought to make sure critical things are still made here. And so I think the American public is demanding that. I think some of the CEOs have realized that with shipping costs and uh, with the breakdown of supply chains, that there is value in having a domestic production. You have Apple saying, well, I uh, it, it may be cheapest right now to have everything coming from Taiwan of semiconductors, but that's not a smart bet, uh, given global disruptions and pushing for domestic manufacturing. And then we have a lot of tools as an American government. We can decide uh, w- what we who we're going to purchase from. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of purchasing power. We can decide uh, who we're going to finance and have public standards linked to our financing. We can decide where strategic tariffs make sense, where strategic... Restrictive agreements make sense. You know, before we got into the World Trade Organization, for for example, textiles, we had a agreement that textiles, some portion of it, had to be in the United States, and the rest of it had to be distributed around the world. It couldn't just be one country having all the textile production. And then the World Trade Organization got rid of it, and we lost all our textile jobs, and it all ended up in China. Right. That doesn't strike me as a good thing. And so that there were policy choices and. I guess my view is, yes, you're going to have corporate money uh, go against that, Uh, but uh, the American people have woken up to the fact that this has not been good uh, for our country's national security or for many places that have been left out.
0: Uh, Democrats recently passed uh, roughly $740 billion reconciliation bill, in, in Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, $369 billion in climate and clean energy policies. Uh, it included incentives for renewable energy, hydrogen, nuclear, and electric vehicles. You said uh, it wasn't the bill you wanted. So I want to know, what what bill did you want? What, what was missing from that bill for you, in particular with with climate?
5: As you know, I, I was part of the uh, efforts on the bill. I had almost uh, uh, a year of uh, negotiating with Senator Manchin, saying that progressives need to uh, get something done. I was in bipartisan talks. I uh, said to Senator Manchin, we need over 300 billion on climate and the progressives and the groups will say yes. It uh, was probably one of the only progressives talking to him for much of uh, 2022. So uh, I am proud of what we achieved. but let's just put this in context this is 300 billion over 10 years at a time over the same 10 years where we're going to spend uh, about 8 trillion on defense when our uh, economy is going to be uh, 230 trillion so to put that in uh, in, in context you know uh, this is uh, uh, less than 0.1% of spending i mean we just need a a, a lot more spending Uh, and some of it direct loans, some of it purchase agreements, some of it direct financing, uh, to be able to really get solar manufacturing, electric vehicles, battery plants, steel plants in the United States. So do I think it's good to have tax credit policy? Uh, Yes. Do I think that this is going to make us the leader in clean energy uh, around the world? No, I think it's a first step.
0: I want to play you another clip uh, you've called for drastic action on Biden's part about this Here, here's what you said
5: he needs to declare a climate emergency I mean I'm glad that he's highlighting what he's doing but we need to do more the declaration of a climate emergency will give him the authority to put more funds into solar wind renewables it will give him the authority to stop uh, the uh, permitting for Uh, projects that are going to emit tremendous amounts of CO2. So uh, he needs to make that declaration.
0: Uh, Is that declaration likely? Would it be imminent? Have you had substantive conversations with him on that part? And what do you think ultimately that how that how that would move the needle overall?
5: He was considering it before the Inflation Reduction Act passed. I think there has been less momentum now because the White House thinks, well, we already did this big climate bill and they did do a significant climate bill, but we still need the climate emergency for a number of reasons. One, the Supreme Court is trying to gut our agencies. They're trying to gut uh, EPA from having any regulation on the utilities on CO2 emissions. We can't just give the Supreme Court this uh, power that they're usurping. The president needs to push back and say, no. I'm president of the United States, I get to tell the agencies that it's fine uh, to have regulation that meets what Congress's intent was. And a climate declaration would do that. It would push back against the Supreme Court gutting the EPA and empower the EPA uh, to have regulations uh, that will meet climate goals. And it will also open up sources of funding for research and development in critical technologies.
0: Um, I want to shift to the midterms, uh, as we near the end of our chat here, you guys have got to be feeling really good about where you are now versus where you were just a month or two ago. It seems like the needle has moved in the direction of Democrats. And what do you, what do you think that is? And how do you feel about what's actually going to happen in November?
5: I feel more optimistic than I have at any time in the uh, two years of President Biden's, uh, uh, a, a term other than maybe the first few months. I mean, I, uh, uh, there's a momentum there. We've got great candidates in uh, Ohio. Tim Ryan's running a great race. John Fetterman's running a great race in Pennsylvania. We have some pickup opportunities. Uh, my house colleagues, many of them in their districts are up. They're running four or five points ahead of the president. And the president is now at 45, 46, 47. I saw Paul. So his numbers are going up. Uh, you know, I almost wish the election were tomorrow. I think if it were tomorrow, uh, we would uh, hold the House and uh, we'd win a couple seats in the Senate. But as you know, uh, a month ago, that was not the case. And a month from now, uh, you never know in American politics. And so we have to be vigilant and we need to keep uh, running through the tape.
0: Yeah, a month or two in politics is a lifetime. But, you know, it is encouraging to see the special elections recently. Pat Ryan up in New York 19. The uh, Sarah Palin losing in, in, in Alaska, <coughs> flipping that seat. I mean, these are all things that are pointing in a very positive direction, I think, for uh, for Democrats. Uh, you know, there's a controversial subject of Biden running again. Um, many Democrats don't want him to run again, which I, I think is crazy. I think he's done a pretty fantastic job under the most challenging circumstances. Um this is what you said uh, recently when you were asked about that.
5: Joe Biden is the incumbent president. Uh, you support the incumbent president of your own party.
0: But my question, uh, Congressman, to you is: Do you think he should run?
5: Yes. I I don't know why someone would argue you. He shouldn't. He beat Donald Trump the first time. Donald Trump's likely to run again. Uh, it's not clear to me that there's anyone who would be able to make a more compelling case of why they would be better able to defeat Donald Trump in places like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan. He's had a successful two years. So what's the argument? Just that he's old. I mean, i, I that's the definition of ageism. Yeah. Uh, and I don't uh, and I don't think that uh, uh, there's anyone I see uh, would be better uh, in defeating Donald Trump. There are other people talked about who I think would lose to Donald Trump. So to me, it's a pretty obvious uh, thing that he should run. And I, he'll have my support.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think he's he's the, the most capable. I think the arguments are are, are not viable at all. Uh, other th- another thing people talk about is you eventually running for president someday.
5: Yeah, look, look, I'm I'm excited about being out there uh, for Joe Biden and campaigning on economic patriotism, about how we're going to rebuild the middle class, rebuild production, build new factories, new industries. To me, there's going to be a moment, whether it's 28 or 32, for a, a multiracial, multi-ethnic democracy, where you're going to have all different candidates, of so a new generation, talking about the future of America. And that'll be an exciting thing. And I look forward to hopefully being part of that conversation. But that conversation is not now. Tw- the 20s are a uh, existential challenge for this country. We have to defeat Donald Trump. We have to make Joe Biden a successful president. We have to. And I tell my friends and colleagues, I say, what is better for the country to have a strong Joe Biden uh, after eight years? And then argue now it's time for more progressive policies and a more multiracial, multiethnic coalition or to have four years, more years of Donald Trump. Such an obvious choice. And that's why I think it should be obvious for Democrats to rally around. Joe Biden and to make him not just win in 24, but to make his presidency as successful as we possibly can.
0: Yeah, totally agree on 24. But for 28, I think uh, we got to remember what your ninth grade English teacher once said. Do we remember that?
4: Every
5: person who has been blessed with uh, good teachers has a teacher who believes in them and says positive things with them and that, that's a credit to our teacher. It's not a prognostication of my future.
0: Yeah. Uh, she said that you were going to be the first. What was it that she said you were going to be the first uh, Indian American president?
5: It, did you not have teachers who, who said uh, you were going to be the first president or the first great filmmaker or I'm sure you did. I'm no. sure you had my teachers who <laughs> believed in you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have, I'm trying to remember if I did. My last question to you is, uh, we, we here at the back room, we try to really get into someone's soul. And I think the way to do that is to uh, talk about pets and music. So the first question is, are you a dog or a cat person? Or both?
5: I'm more a dog person. Uh, and, uh, you know, honestly, it took a while because uh, growing up, Uh, as an Indian American family, we didn't have any dogs. But then uh, when I started knocking on doors and going out, I used to uh, love meeting uh, people's dogs. And so we're more a dog person. All
0: right. And your top five musical artists of all time.
5: Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, Billy Joel, and probably uh, Kendrick Lamar.
0: Wow. I like that last one you threw in. I, I Personally, I like
5: DNA and Humble and, I think he's a pr- pretty profound in some of the, uh, the stuff he does.
0: Uh, yeah. No, I uh, I'm, I'm also fascinated that you didn't mention Taylor Swift because usually everyone does, including your colleague, Eric Swalwell, which was a real shocker, but he, he proudly admitted to being a Swifty. So there you go.
5: Yeah. No, I, you know, I like her, but I wouldn't put her, but my favorite song is uh, Bruce Springsteen's my hometown. I think if, uh, if you, if you listen to it, it's one of my favorites. If you listen to it, uh is really about a lot of the challenge in in america i mean uh, springsteen writes sings about you know he's eight years old he's uh riding in this buick with his father and uh his father says this is your hometown and then the textile mills close the jobs aren't coming back and he's 35 years old and he's got a kid of his own uh and he's leaving his hometown he's telling his son look we've got to leave and uh you know that that that's so much of uh the american story i uh,
0: totally uh you can't argue with uh springsteen's uh impact on the music industry as well as the messaging that you just spoke of and i actually did remember uh, my teachers uh, most of the time they were just asking me why i am showing up late so we're going to end on that uh,
5: i'm sure that were i'm sure they're <laughs> proud i have not someone as successful your other people uh, who usually didn't have one or two people who really uh believed in them and uh, often it's a teacher or a mentor and, uh, you know, my ninth grade English teacher, the, the the thing I wish is that every person in this country had a, a teacher like her, someone who uh, really believes in you. I mean, I think that's, you know, when you become, a, you know, when I get introduced now, they say, oh, congressman, congressman and they talk about all my the good parts of my biography and they omit, the, you know, the times I lost twice and the times I thought I'd never make it. Uh, But the times like that, which we've all had, it's those people like my ninth grade English teacher who believe in you, who Mm -hmm. keep you going.
0: Well, I think the key there is the person that they're talking to. I mean, it's not so much uh, uh, an assessment of of teachers or a critique of teachers, which I totally agree with you on that, that, you know, they're they're such an underappreciated part of our society. But it's the student, I think the difference between me and you is you probably demonstrated to that teacher that you actually could and should be president someday. I unfortunately did not. <laughs> so oh, you're
5: demonstrating it now, you're, you know, your podcast. This yeah. Well, the, maybe now. Modern way.
0: Yeah. But you see now, maybe I, I am capable enough to be president, but God, would I want that job? That's, I don't know who yeah. does want that job. It yeah, is,
5: that's the other thing I will say to this president. And it, it I mean, obviously it's a very, very difficult job in itself, but to run against Donald Trump with the viciousness, I mean, yeah. what he's doing, appalling to to, to to the president's son, to the president's family, who would want to go through that with no. without with Trump and the threats? I, I have so much respect uh, for Joe Biden's willingness to have done that in 2020, to put his family through that and to do that again. I mean, this is it's not some glorious pursuit to be running against Donald Trump with the garbage. No, he, d- is-
0: he, he does it because he has a deep love of this country and it's democracy. And, and we're seeing that again with the way he talks about 2024. 20, so uh, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Congressman Ro Khanna, thank you so much for coming into the back room and talking with us. Uh, we appreciate your thoughts and hope you'll come back again.
5: Really enjoyed it. Appreciate it.
0: Take care. So there you have it. Episode 14 in the can. We'd love to hear your thoughts, so leave us a message at 845-307-7446 or email us at backroomandy at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Andy Ostroy. Thank you, Maddie Rosenberg, Jen Hamood, Cricket Langell, Andy Hollander, Patricia Wind, and the Epicurean. And a big thank you again to our guest, Congressman Ro Khanna. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. And we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.